Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey everybody, I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Uh, happy to be here with you today. Uh, we are going to finally make good on our promise this week, Mark, of uh, talking about a subject I think we allude to like every other podcast. We are going to talk. We're, we're jumping into the bedroom and we're talking about healthy sex and toxic sex in a marriage and the difference between those, what they look like, what they don't. Um, I know that for me, this topic seems to come up, not just in the podcast every other week, but is pretty consistent with the majority of the clients that I work with because, you know, when, you, when you, many of my clients reference from a, from a particularly conservative religious culture, and I think this is the case in any respect, but when you do reference from a culture like that, uh, the topic of sex in general, as you and I have discussed, right, kind of has that mystique feeling to it almost, kind of that taboo feeling going on. And I find that many of my clients, in fact, probably most of them, have never really sat down and examined the sexual the healthiness or the toxicity in the sexual relationship. And this, it doesn't just fall to addicts. This is just in general. We all kind of go into marriage, it seems like, or many of us, with this idea of what it's going to be and what it should be, quote unquote, uh, but oftentimes don't have those conversations and look at it. So I'm, uh, I'm stoked for this. It's going to be good. I don't know. I'm getting kind of nervous. I, I don't know if I want to talk about this. <laughs> That's a bad sign. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> can we talk about this? Are you sure? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we can. And we, and we are. I know. <laughs> well, and I know that there are some people, right, who, who, who sometimes are a little put off by, you know, us jumping in the bedroom with you and we try not to do that too much and we do it in a healthy way when we do but obviously you can only talk so much about sex addiction without 
really kind of hitting on on the elements of it. And so I'm excited to look at this because this is, if anything, the goal here, guys, on this podcast is you, you guys and gals is to start this discussion in your marriage if it hasn't happened yet. And if and if it has, maybe we can deepen it and enhance it and yeah. get you guys more on the same page of what that looks like. Because, um, you know, sex is very much in the eye of the beholder, right? In terms of if, if, if it's connecting versus not as we've used examples many times on this podcast in the, in the past, if somebody were to look at a couple being sexual on the outside, um, you can't really tell necessarily what, you know, if things, if what's going on is healthy or connecting it might or versus toxic um, because it has so much to do with that internal uh, mindset, you know, where, where is my headspace at? What am I, what am I taking from this? I mean, all those things. And we're going to talk about that today. Yeah. And in order to really get into that, I think you have to, we have to start with a discussion about uh, lust and fantasy uh, versus the healthy sex drive, right? And separating those between those two. Curious for your thoughts on that. Yeah. In fact, I was just talking to uh, my group therapy guys uh, recently about this very issue because <clears throat> it's hard. There's some confusion out there about lust, right? Lust sure. is a religious and a philosophical term. It's bantered uh-huh. about around a lot. Yes. You know, what does it mean? And for me, you know, over the years, I've kind of boiled it down to a pretty simple definition. For me, it's it would be the un the unnatural and unhealthy application of a natural drive. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, and, and lust is just, isn't related to sex. You can lust after anything. Yes. So for example, there's the lust of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I'll use that really quick as an example. So let's say that uh, we've got somebody who they work hard. Uh, they like nice things. They like to make money. Uh, it's a healthy drive. They're honest in what they do for their work. And they have been able to keep that, drive to make money and have nice things in balance with other aspects of their lives. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, you know, the, the, the drive to, to have that is a, is a healthy, natural thing. Yeah. But now what happens if I start to lust after money and nice things? Now I see what other people have and I want it. And I don't just want it. I want it now. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to pay the price. I don't want to do the hard work. I don't want to adhere to the boundaries. I just want to go get it. And that's an example of going from a natural drive to one of lust. Uh, Mm -hmm. We can lust after money, power. Uh, We can, of course, have sexual lust. I like to say we can can lust after food, which is called gluttony. I've had uh, food lust issues in Mm. my life. (laughs) And so... Lust is just the, the, the unnatural or unhealthy pursuit of something that is, is normally a healthy thing. And so uh, I don't know what your feelings are about that, but that's how I've tried to kind of boil it down over the years. No, I, I love that definition. I, I like that. And I think we're, pre- we're pretty close to on the same page with that. I've not thought about it maybe in that exact terminology, but, but my philosophy very much agrees. I, when I think of lust, um, at least in a sexual sense, because I agree it can, you know, apply across the board. Um, but in a sexual sense, what I, what I tend to, uh, look how I look at, well, there's multifacets to it, right? The first thing that comes to mind is that lust is a stripping away of everything else but the sexual, Mm. right? Yeah. So it's, it's, so it's taking so there's a minimizing of all the other parts of the, uh, of connection and a maximizing of that one piece. 
it is no secret that sex is an important part in a marriage. Far more, frankly, than I was taught in my conservative culture that it is, at least at least just physicality in general. Um, but that being said, it, it cannot be the thing in a healthy marriage that leads out and drives the drives the wagon. Uh, it, uh, it, it it's a good emphasis, um, but in and of itself is not a gauge for connection. Um, the other element with lust, because there is such an emphasis on sex, lust is very much focused on things like you know body parts, sexual positions. Um, you know, frequency of sex, you know, how long it lasts. I mean, all of those, all of those components, it's all about, there's this huge emphasis on, on, uh, well, how would I put it? It's just an emphasis on, on all things physical. And it's not, again, that that isn't important, but it's not taking into account, right, all of those other elements. Yeah. Uh, so, so that would be the first thing. Um, when I'm in a lust, this is probably the best litmus test that I can come up with. When I'm in a lust-based mentality, my thinking is as follows. What can I get out of this? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's in that headspace of, I'm not thinking about, again, stripping away that connection. I'm not really thinking or even aware. It's not even on my radar to whatever degree I'm in lust, right. Of, uh, what, what's going on with my partner, how they're doing, whatever. It's, it's all about me and what I want and, and uh, what I can get from this. Um, the last thing that comes to mind for me with lust is that it's always escape slash numbing oriented. Um, it's a, even, though it, even though that version of sex, just like any component of sex, like pornography, for example, it bills itself as connection, right? But that's the pornography paradox is because it actually does the opposite. And I think lust does the same thing. And on the outside, again, if somebody's looking in, they can look at that and be like, oh, wow, that, that couple, to an untrained therapist, you know, I, I have worked with couples who are having sex, you know, 10 times a week, for example. And it's easy for a therapist without the right training or who doesn't take a look at that to say, oh, well, this marriage can't be that bad. I mean, look how, you know, intimate these guys are. They're so close. and You know, they got a healthy sex life and da-da-da-da-da. But, off, but if, if there isn't that connective factor to back that up, if you gauge it just on something like that, I've seen those situations actually be very toxic where you have two partners that are just using each other. Now, they're not drawing closer together 10 times a week. They're actually separating further and further, and the relationship is not symbiotic. It's actually parasitic um, because they're both looking to numb out whatever else is going on in their lives as opposed to, uh, as, as opposed to sex being a form where they can connect and be present with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of brings us to this place. If you wanted to make a comparison with that, you, you ask yourself, are we triggering uh, the addiction cycle mm-hmm. when we come together in that setting in marriage or, or are we, are we uh, initiating the connection cycle? Yes. And they're very, very different, right? The addiction cycle uh, in basic terms means uh, there's some external factor or internal factor that is stressing me out, putting me into a place where I feel discomfort. I could be, could be bored, lonely, angry, stressed, tired, fearful, doubtful. I mean, the list goes on and on of what those mm-hmm. negative emotions can be. <clears throat> and so now I'm feeling the need for some self-soothing, self-medication, escape, avoidance, right? I, I, I want to fix this whatever this discomfort is. And now lo and behold, I have this place I can run to, uh, you know, let's call it the marriage, the marriage bed. Yeah. And I can go fix all this stuff that is uncomfortable for me rather yes. than facing the issues and what's really going on and getting under the surface in the core of those, I can just run to this place. 
And that starts a cycle, an addiction cycle and versus the connection cycle, which is a whole, a whole different deal. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe you can talk real quick about the connection cycle versus the addiction cycle I just gave. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the connection cycle is going to have to do with a lot of the concepts, right? And this is a good way to kind of recognize it. Um, a lot of the concepts that we've discussed on this podcast before, but uh, so I'll run through kind of the things that stick out to me and forgive me if this sounds a little bit like the Beatitudes from the Bible, but you know, <laughs> if we're looking at real connection, right. Or healthy sex, healthy sex, first of all, is patient. Um, healthy sex. I am a big believer is, is an expression of an already existing uh, relationship and level of connection rather than a, or, or more so of that rather than an attempt to find it or to create it. Obviously mm. it can enhance and grow it. Um, but what I'm doing, if I'm, if I'm in a healthy sexual place, what I'm doing in the bedroom is going to be reflective of that connection that I'm feeling as opposed to trying to ignore the lack thereof and somehow either create or at least synthesize or mimic that to some degree, if that makes sense. So there's a patience factor. Yeah. We're right? going to talk more about that towards the end of this podcast today, but I like to say that when it, when it's connecting, it's, it's a, it's a, a culmination or a celebration of all the other ways that we're connecting before we ever get to the bedroom. Absolutely. Um, lust is, and this goes back to the neuroscience of this, right? We touch on that from time to time. The sex drive is, is based in the midbrain, right? The reptilian brain. It's part of the instinctual portion of the brain that just operates the way that it does. And, and that's not a bad thing. But you can see reflections of how the midbrain works with being, again, instinctual, reactive, right? Something that is very needs-driven, being reflected in lust if it's, if it's operating solely from that place. So, go, again, with the, so we, we use that, you know, that, that expression of being patient. Um, lust is, is, I call it, it's like the, the New Yorker on, on steroids, right? Lust wants everything yesterday, right? <laughs> it, like, wanted it, like, two days ago, like... There is no, this concept of like, let's get in a good place or let's have a healthy relationship and then let's let the sex come as it, as it does, right? And that's an important part of it for me too. Again, something to look for where the sex is an organic and it's just a natural flowing or outgrowing of the relationship um, as opposed to um, the other, which is, you know, what's the, the end goal is sex, Right. How do I get there? How do I get there? How do I get there? I need to get flowers. I need to do a date. Maybe I need to take her out to a really nice restaurant. Maybe I need to, you know, if I do enough things, maybe that'll lead to sex, right? <laughs> it kind of becomes mm. that more, that more end game. Yep. Um, and definitely feeds into that addiction cycle, right? Contrast that with the connecting side where, where the emphasis truly is not just because it sounds nice, but truly is on enjoying the company with the other person, right? being able to be on the same page and to discuss and to interact and to um, build and grow um, on a, on a substantial level. Uh, and the sex in my experience tends to be, if it is healthy, tends to be an outgrowth of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, and, you know, talking about the issue of lust, one of the things, I mean, I, I know this about, uh, my marriage years when I was deep in addiction, and I see this with my clients all the time, lust can, uh, lust can really be a, a poison that we bring into the bedroom. Yes. And it can really create a great deal of disruption to the relationship, uh, both conscious and subconscious. 
Mm. You might you might not even realize what kind of damage that it's doing to your relationship simply because there uh, there are cultural expectations. You were raised that way. Uh, you just assume that this is the way it's done, but there's some part of you that just feels that it isn't right. It's mm. there's something that yeah this isn't really comfortable, but I guess this is what you have to do or you're supposed to do or what have you, and in all in in all that time, it is really uh, poisoning. You know, bringing something destructive into that relationship. Um, and so I, you know, one of the things I remember I struggled with. Well, isn't everything sexual if it's inside marriage is is legal, is appropriate, is <laughs> is fine? Yeah, Maybe kind of being put off by people who wanted to talk to me about that. It's like, wait a second, that's none of your business. That's my marriage bedroom, and what we do there is our business. So stay, so just keep out of it. I would get, yeah. I would get angry. Mainly be, now, as I look back, mainly because I knew something I wasn't approaching it in the most healthy way. So mm. let's not talk about it because then some things might actually be revealed. Yeah, that I didn't want to face. But you know, this concept of well, if it's within marriage, then it's it's whatever we say it is. It's fine. Everything everything within the marriage is healthy, and I've actually found that 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 is not the case. Yeah, uh, and and we had in our we talked before this in some of our notes about a really tough concept for some guys: how your spouse can be a trigger for lust. Yeah, your spouse is a lust trigger. And when I first started working with the guys, they were like, what, what, what do you, wait a second, what are you saying? My spouse is a, is a trigger for lust. And there's a lot of resistance to that. Hmm. And that might be, that might be a good thing to talk about for a couple of minutes, just about this concept of lust, you know, being a poison we bring into the bedroom. How yeah. can a spouse be a trigger for lust? Really? Oh, you know, I was, uh, I was watching a sit, a sitcom some time ago and, uh, it's, uh, I guess I can't probably mention that for copyright reasons, right? But <laughs> <laughs> it's the son of a, the, the show's all about the psychiatrist and, and his father lives with him. And this particular episode is kind of dealing with generational differences with, between sex versus, you know, his more modern generation versus the older one. And for, oh, I almost said his name. Yeah, you almost the, did. <laughs> the, the, psycho, the psychiatrist, he, uh, he actually discloses on his radio show some of the thing some elements of his dad's kind of thoughts on sex and and relationships and the dad doesn't appreciate it and they're arguing <laughs> and the dad at some point in time in the conversation says when i where i come from sex is between you and the person you're doing it to <laughs> right <laughs> and it's kind of a comical take on on a more serious topic because that 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 phrasing carries weight in a lot of different arenas but when you ask me you know can my spouse be a lust trigger or can my partner be a lust trigger i would say the answer is absolutely yes right um and it this this concept i think has a lot to do with something that we've already talked about is that you remember we you know our one of our first episodes i think it was episode number two was what's the definition of pornography mm -hmm. right my wife walking out of the shower for example could either be very pornographic to me or could be very connecting to me and very healthy. And the difference I think between the two is, is it comes back to this intention piece, right? It's what am I, what is my existing headspace and what is my brain taking from that interaction, right? What is, what is the end goal? What am I, what am I looking at it for? 
if I see my if I see my partner naked, am I am I present and appreciating that el- that element of them in addition to everything else, or is the emphasis placed solely on on that and taking something from that interaction? If that yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. What you know? What's your focus? Yeah. Is it is it all is it all me centered? Yeah. Right. We we see that image of the spouse. And now we start thinking about what I'm going to get, what I'm going to do, how good it's going to be for me. Mm, and, yeah. or is it a feeling of, uh, appreciation, respect, um, you know, all kinds of ways that, uh, become part of the cement or glue in our relationship only because it's part of everything else that I'm feeling as a connection. It, as I've gotten healthier, that's what I've noticed. Those kinds of situations that, Years, you know, many years ago would have been, you know, my wife in in, in too many cases was kind of could be pornography sure. in my mind. Yes. And let's be very clear about that. When we say your spouse can be a lust trigger, it doesn't mean that your spouse is doing something wrong. Nope. It has nothing to do with that. It's all about how you're filtering it through your own brain and how you're interpreting it. Correct. And there were times where I was filtering it that way. Yeah. Um, now I find it, it's just, it's a, it's a wonderful addition to, or part of all the other things. And that's why it's so, it's so connecting because it, it reminds me of all the other ways that we're close. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just such a difference of that very narrowed, singular, me centered, uh, you know, lust approach versus, wow, we really do have something. And yeah. This just reminded me of that. Yeah. Is sex, be, is, is sex uh, something between me and the person I'm being intimate with, with my partner, or is sex between me and the person I'm doing it to? <laughs> the person I'm doing right. it to, I know. Right? Kind of that's, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I agree. I, I, you know, and that, and that kind of brings up, and I know we're kind of bouncing around with these characteristics of healthy versus toxic sex, so forgive us, but uh, that, that's another piece that comes to mind for me. A hallmark of any 12-step program centered around sex, uh, addiction, or compulsion, be it pornography or what have you, um, I, I feel a key component of any one that works is starting off with the premise that sex is optional. Hmm. It's not a requirement uh, for a relationship. It's a great expression and is, and is an important part of a marriage and something to be worked on, but it is not a requirement for happiness in and of itself. And it sounds really, honestly, kind of weird to say this as a sex addict because <laughs> I remember so clearly my whole world in many respects revolving around the intimacy. And it wasn't just the orgasm or just the physical pleasure side. I was just gauging the whole relationship by it, right? If we were having lots of sex, we must have a really good marriage. If we're not having any sex at all, we must not have a good marriage at all. And so it tends to be, uh, and so for me, it's, it, it, keeping that in mind is, is important. A good litmus test for me is if I if I feel right now like I need to have sex, I probably need to go do some work because it shouldn't mm. be something that I, I I have to have right now. Um, is it a great thing that I'd like to have as a part of my life? Absolutely, and I think it is a the, a part of a healthy, balanced marriage diet. <laughs> yeah. Um. But but yeah, it shouldn't be the it shouldn't be the end all be all, and and I should if I can. Uh, you know, I, I use a phrase that I borrowed from a movie with guys when we're talking about this this uh, this topic, and I, I really really like it. And, and and it's this, you know, when it comes to sex, if sex is one of those things where if you're not enough without it, or your relationship's not enough out without it, you'll never be enough with it, mm. and the marriage will never be enough with it. Yes, 
right? If I can't have a healthy relationship without having sex X amount of times a week or X amount of times a month or whatever, there are other parts of the relationship that need to be built up. Hey everybody, Mark and Steve here. Are you looking to take your recovery and your marriage to the next level? We work with individuals and couples one-on-one. With both in-person and online therapy options, you have access to the experts anytime, anywhere. To learn more, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. Yeah, and this and this kind of comes into this place where we talk about our spouse can become a drug for yes. us. You know, every time life gets unmanageable or difficult or stressful or whatever, I can go running to my spouse to have sex, quote, and it's like a drug. And this is one of the things as I started to get into recovery and, and was willing to become more aware of this, I would recognize some of some of the boundaries that I would set for myself. Uh, in healthy recovery. One of the ways that I knew that I was getting into this place of lust and me-centeredness with regard to sexual uh, intimacy is if I had an expectation that there was going to be this great sex and I was looking forward to it, I was running it through my mind, I was anticipating, Mm -hmm. and then for some reason it didn't work out. Sure. My wife was not feeling well, it got too late, Uh, there was some crisis with the kids, whatever it was, and then it didn't happen. If I found myself being angry, moody, uh, throwing a bit of a little tantrum, Mm. right? This big giant letdown. And then I'm like a little spoiled child who's just not, you know, gotten what he expected. When I would feel that, that would cause me to pause and go, whoa, uh, I think I have some more work to do with regard to my recovery because I'm feeling really angry and resentful at my wife that things didn't work out tonight tonight the way I hoped. That's the same kind of mechanism you see with people who, for example, uh, are hooked on drugs. Um, They're anticipating that they're going to go out drinking or they're anticipating that they're going to get their their heroin or their cocaine and something happens where they don't get access to it. And now all of these, these really... Uh, impulsive, reactive emotions start flooding them, where yeah. they were disappointed in the expectation. It's the it's the same kind of effect. It's a drug I was I was craving. It didn't happen, and now I'm angry. I'm resentful. I'm I'm throwing a tantrum of sorts. Hmm. Uh, for me, that's been a big sign for me. Like, can you take it or leave it? Can you be patient? Can you be kind? Can you can you um, you know, err on the side of your spouse's feelings or where she's at right now. And, and then just, you know, put it forward to another time. Mm-hmm. You're going to make her pay because yeah. this didn't happen the way I expected. Sure. You know, so. oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, and, and like any other part of a, a, like any other part of a relationship, communication in this area is everything. Right. And that and that branches across all sorts of different spectrums. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is, I mean, I'm, I'm really shocked how many of my clients have been having sex with each other for years, but like have never really talked about it. It happens all the time. 
but it just happens, right? It's not really a topic of discussion. It's they've never sat down and had that that discussion about, you know, what is what is healthy, what isn't, what do I like, what do I not, what makes me uncomfortable, what helps me feel connected, right? All of those things. It oh, just, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty it, wild. It's like it, the, the part that's so crazy about that is you go back to when you were a kid and I'll ask groups. So how many of you, when you were growing up, had the talk? Yep. Right? The one talk with your mom yeah. or your dad about this thing called sex. And a lot of the, uh, some of the groups never had the talk. It was just never discussed at all. But a lot of them will say, yep, I remember the talk. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because uh, as dysfunctional and awkward and embarrassing and, and whatever else that is, we carry that with us into our marriage relationship. Absolutely. It's like, have you ever really had just a raw, real, authentic talk with your spouse about your sexual relationship? And most of the couples I've ever worked with, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. It's just not done. It's, it's just too embarrassing. It's too awkward. Nobody ever showed me or told me how to do it. And I just, I, I'm, I'm just too uncomfortable. So yeah. all this stuff goes unsaid, unexpressed, and you bring it into, you bring it into the bedroom and it's going to create lots of dysfunction because you won't say what you need or what's not comfortable, or I don't really like that or, or whatever it is. You yeah. can't, you can't voice that all sorts of assumptions are going to happen and all sorts of habits are going to be developed that you just sort of put up with because you've never bothered to actually, you know, face it and confront it. It's dysfunctional and just in every way you can imagine. Yes. Wait, you've never talked about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, absolutely. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it can be a, it can be a real, I mean, in like, and like you said, I mean, I agree. It isn't just about, necessarily even what you like and what you don't it's it's about comfort level yeah. like any like anything else right in a marriage there are certain boundaries i'm a big believer right there are certain behaviors on opposite either end of the spectrum whether we're talking about shame whether we're talking about manipulation whether we're talking whatever where there are certain things in communication or in the way that we interact or with each other that are always going to be out of bounds that will always be manipulative that are always problematic right Right. That being said, though, there is a lot of wiggle room for what a marriage looks like from couple to couple, right? Yeah. What may be healthy for one one uh, couple in the bedroom, for example, may not exactly be the same thing that would be healthy uh, for another couple for all sorts of reasons, ranging from past addiction behaviors that are just overly triggering all the way up through maybe a spouse has been abused in the past sexually or had yes. some sexual trauma from yes. prior partners or from abuse. And and if those things aren't talked about or discussed, I mean, what a tragedy that would be. I, I have had more than one client where a wife has opened up about she's her having a sexually traumatic past, but because of her shame and fear around being judged around it, she's never mentioned it to a spouse. Yeah. And and come to find out that, you know, the husband has been thinking they've had this really healthy sexual relationship all these years. And in many ways it's been connecting. But she's she on her end of the spectrum, she's been having this fear, this underlying anxiety with it, you know, that she hasn't been able to she's never talked about. And so even though the the the, the experience for her is pleasurable, it's also very painful. And 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 that could be avoided, right? Those kinds of situations are are easily avoidable if you can take this topic just like any other and and uh you know, spin it on its head. You said something really telling about how we look at this in our culture, right? 
everybody knows what, what we mean when we say the talk, right? <laughs> yes. Everybody knows what that means, right? And that right there is a problem. First of all, it's shocking how many people never get the talk <laughs> from parents, from, you know, whoever. But even more so, it's, it's sad because even in that small percentage that do get the talk, that's the problem. It, it is a talk. Yeah, it's supposed it, to be an ongoing conversation. Yeah, it's an event instead of yes. right an ongoing dialogue. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa! We talked about this when we first got <laughs> married. I don't know why we're bringing this up again. <laughs> yeah, why? <laughs> why? Why are you asking me what I'm? Se- why are you trying to tell me what you're sexually comfortable with? We, we talked about this at 21. You know, we're we're in our 40s yeah. now. I I think I know you pretty well. Yeah, right. Like, that? yeah, things. It, this stuff changes and evolves over time, and that is the case with any relationship. But I know for the vast majority of people listening, this is a recovery-oriented relationship where just like every other area, this relate, your relationship is likely in a place of rapid flux, rapid change. And just like anything else in the relationship, it has to be something that has to be an ongoing or things can go awry really, really quick. Case in point, I have had more than one client who, you know, as a couple is working through, uh, you know, addiction and betrayal and everything like that. I have had I have had clients come to find out, like my wife clients, for example, in their own individual work, that there was actually some emotional abuse and manipulation, uh, and sometimes physical abuse and manipulation far greater than what they recognized at the time, right? And some of those experiences they had may have been manipulative or may even fall under a classification of some level of rape. And if you aren't having discussions in your marriage about those topics, you know, as you both move through the recovery process, because you never know when those are going to come up, you can make or break a relationship on any topic in in, in it. One of the quickest ones is around intimacy. Yeah, it's one of those places of high vulnerability. And if you if you take big missteps in this area, you can do damage that is very, very difficult to repair. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned a really important aspect is that, uh, you know, the woman in the marriage can, uh, when you start talking about that, she can look back and say, wow, I didn't even realize that was abuse. I knew it didn't feel right. I knew there was something that was wrong, but I didn't feel I could express it. I was embarrassed or intimidated or whatever. I was just never shown how to do it. And so now this can come flooding in currently. I've also seen another side of that us as guys, we're raised in this, in this man culture that says, I can't talk about my fear about mm-hmm. performing. I can't sure. talk about the inadequacies, inadequacies that I feel sexually yeah. because then I'm not, you know, I'm not the macho man. Sure. And a, a, a lot of guys, when they come to the place where they're actually able to admit, you know what, I just have some real insecurities about this. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like I was, you know, competent in this or capable. And I was afraid to tell you and man, I would get anxiety or I would be embarrassed or, you know, the list goes on all because yeah. we, we couldn't talk about it. So guys carry that burden, that secret burden as well. Very true. Yeah, very true. No, you're absolutely right. And, and uh, we, I, I think, you know, this goes back to some of those sexual mores in our, you know, that we, we have in our in our culture, generally speaking, right? Men are just sexual pigs. And because of that, you know, that carries a lot of different weight in different areas and, and women are, are not sexual at all. I mean, there's just all sorts of things that you hear on a daily basis. Yes. And, and those things influence the relationship. It's, it's, it's really interesting because when you grow up in a culture where sex is talked about so little in a vulnerable way, 
where do we learn sexual norms from? Sitcoms, like the one I described, right? Yep. Um, you know, TV, yep, movies. media, our peers, pornography. And and it's pretty dangerous to set a precedent in your marriage about defining certain elements of intimacy from something that is geared towards selling movie tickets. Yeah. Be- because there are lots of things that happen in the movies, including in the sexual realm, that will sell a lot of movie tickets, but that are actually horrible advice for real life. Yes. We could do like five podcasts episodes on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, you know, let's finish up and, and maybe give people a few guidelines, some some... Uh, some insights and suggestions. How do you have this conversation as a couple? Absolutely. If you're going to sit down and talk about this, you know, really intense and, you know, potentially, uh, you know, awkward topic, mm-hmm. how do yes. you do it without yes. creating more problems? <laughs> mm, yeah, right. <laughs> right? Well, before we say, and, and I love that, and we'll get into that. Before I, I mention that, though, a thought that came to mind that I think is really important is, and this is, again, applicable across the board in other areas of, of intimacy. But in the sexual realm, in addition to the others, you have, if you want to have a healthy sexual experience, you have to come into it with your bucket already full. Mm, yes. If you don't want to be subject or, or pulled into lust, which anybody can be subject to, but addicts can slip into that mindset in about a cold second. Um, you the, a prerequisite to that is you have to have taken the time to fill that bucket first with that self care piece. Yes. So the the last thing you want is to come to that sexual relationship in your marriage needy. Yes. I'm coming. I'm empty, and I'm looking for you to fill me in this sexual situation. Best case, that's highly codependent and destructive for the relationship in other ways. Worst case, it is going to feed into the addiction mindset. Yes. Your spouse cannot be looked at subconsciously or, con- or consciously as that refuge in the desert, you know, that you're the oasis in the desert that you go to just fill your bucket up with so you can then go and isolate again for however long. Yes. You have to be taking that time to connect so that you can, because you, if you're a healthy sexual experience, just like any other part of the relationship is one where you can give. There's a give and take. And if you haven't taken the time to, to fill, you're not going to have anything left. To, you're not going to have anything to give. Yep. You're just going to take, take, take. Yes. And the, you know, then that comes down to one other important point that I often uh, bring up. If you want to have a great sexual relationship, it's not about the techniques, the positions, the toys, the this, the that. It's about everything that you bring with you to that experience. Yes. So all the things Absolutely. you're doing outside the bedroom have everything to do with it, with the kind of quality and connection and intimacy that you're going to experience, you know, during that time. So am I respectful? Am I doing my part? I like to tell guys, you know, great sex starts in the kitchen. And of course, they laugh because <laughs> they don't know what I'm talking about. I say, no. Do you do the dishes? Do you take out the trash? You know, do you, do you help fix dinner? Do you clean off the counters? Absolutely. That is a part of what you bring with you into that intimate setting. Totally. So that, uh, you know, if you want to have a wonderful, that be a wonderful part of your relationship, then focus on all the things that are happening outside that place. Mm-hmm. So critical. I love that. Absolutely. Okay. Well, uh, getting to an assignment for the week. So uh, for, for I, I think the assignment's going to be the same no matter where you're at on the spectrum. The, the point is, is to deepen the conversation around sex and this concept of healthy versus toxic sex in general. 
Okay. Um, wherever you're at, some couples obviously have been more open about that. And, and maybe it's more of a deepening of that discussion or checking in with it. We haven't talked about in a while. Um, but for others, this may be the first time you ever breached the subject. Again, it's not uncommon for a couple to be married for 20 years. And I, I will ask them in my office, have you ever talked about this? And they haven't. Yeah. And so, so just opening that discussion and just start starting to practice normalizing it. Okay. Like anything else uh, associated with recovery, and this applies for addicts just as much as to spouses, just because something is sacred, which I would argue sex is, we talk about this in the book, it does not mean that it should also be secret. Those are different. And being able to bring up that topic, just like any other is is critical you need to be able to normalize those discussions and so that they don't carry that shame baggage or that naivety baggage or whatever else it may be um and so just beginning that conversation and then along with that making sure that you're seeking correct information right and and dispelling the crap there are lots of resources out there for this and i'm going to give a caveat because i i've never found one that i completely agree with everything that's contained therein but, but I, I, I'm a certified sex addiction therapist, and there's a colleague of mine. Her name is Alexand- Dr. Alexandra Katahakis, and she wrote a book called Erotic Intelligence, Igniting Hot, Healthy Sex While in Recovery from Sex Addiction. Uh, I've trained under her. She's a really good lady, um, very smart with her stuff. Um, again, there are some things in there uh, around certain topics that you may find that don't work for you. Like anything else in recovery, take what you need and leave the rest. Um, there are other books out there, but that would be the one that I would give with, again, some, some caveats that way. So that's where I would say we start. Yeah. And the other side that I would, that I would uh, just put on this as we end, uh, be patient with each other. This Mm. is, this is not, you're not going to be an expert at this conversation. You know, the first time (laughs) you're going to stumble over your words. It's going to be, you know, embarrassing, awkward. You might even get angry at each other. One or more of you. Whatever you're feeling, whatever emotions come bubbling up as you're trying to do this, it's okay. Yes. Whatever you're feeling is okay. And maybe... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, maybe that conversation where it needs to start is just talking about the fears. Yeah. Right? Maybe we just start having a discussion about why this discussion is scary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a great place to begin, you yeah. know? Here's why this scares me to death, or here's why I'm just so awkward right now, I cannot even tell you. I have like, been getting naked with you for 20 years, but we can't, I, can't, yeah. I can't do it emotionally. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. And so, <laughs> absolutely. Well, awesome. Well, I, I think that's about it, unless we've got anything else to add. I think that's good. Just Sounds be patient. Great. It's a process. Keep going. Keep trying. And it'll get better. Take the risk, and it'll get better with time. We know it's a difficult conversation, guys. And so as always, please visit us at uh, www.pbsepodcast.com. We've got a contact form on there. You're welcome to reach out to us for anything ranging from therapy options in both of our practices up through just topics that you would like to cover in future podcasts. If you have questions about today, I know we covered like a massive topic as always (laughs) in 30 minutes. And so we do tailor future episodes to that. So take that into account and please let us know how it's going. All right. Sounds good. Have a great week, everybody. See ya. That's all for today. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. Together, we can do the impossible. To learn more about Mark and Steve and to listen to more podcast episodes, visit us at pbscpodcast.com.
Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.